Section two of Daddy Longlegs. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Joe Carabas. Daddy Longlegs by Jean Webster. Section two. Freshman year. The letters of Miss Jerusha Abbott to Mr. Daddy Longlegs Smith, 215 Ferguson Hall. 24th September. Dear kind trustee who sends orphans to college. Here I am. I traveled yesterday for four hours in a train. It's a funny sensation, isn't it? I never rode in one before. College is the biggest, most bewildering place. I get lost whenever I leave my room. I will write you a description later, when I am feeling less muddled. Also, I will tell you about my lessons. Classes don't begin until Monday morning, and this is Saturday night. But I wanted to write a letter first, just to get acquainted. Seems queer to be writing letters to someone you don't know. It seems queer for me to be writing letters at all. I've never written more than three or four in my life. So please overlook it if these are not a model kind. Before leaving yesterday morning, Mrs. Lippett and I had a very serious talk. She told me how to behave all the rest of my life, and especially how to behave towards the kind gentleman who is doing so much for me. I must take care to be very respectful. But how can one be very respectful to a person who wishes to be called John Smith? Why couldn't you have picked out a name with a little personality? I might as well write letters to Dear Hitching Post or Dear Clothes Prop. I've been thinking about you a great deal this summer. Having somebody take an interest in me after all these years makes me feel as though I had found a sort of family. It seems as though I belong to somebody now, and it's a very comfortable sensation, I must say. However, that when I think about you, my imagination has very little to work upon. There are just three things that I know. Number one, you are tall. Number two, you are rich. Number three, you hate girls. I suppose I might call you Dear Mr. Girl-Hater, only that's rather insulting to me, or Dear Mr. Rich Man, but that's insulting to you, as though money were the only important thing about you. Besides, being rich is such an external quality. Maybe you won't stay rich all your life. Lots of very clever men get smashed up in Wall Street. But at least you will stay tall all your life. So I've decided to call you Dear Daddy Longlegs. I hope you won't mind. It's just a private pet name, and we won't tell Mrs. Lippett. The ten o'clock bell is going to ring in two minutes. Our day is divided into sections by bells. We eat and sleep and study by bells. It's very enlivening. I feel like a fire horse all of the time. There it goes. Lights out. Good night. Observe with what precision I obey rules, due to my training in the John Greer home. Yours most respectfully, Jerusha Abbott. To Mr. Daddy Longlegs Smith, 1st October. 
dear Daddy Longlegs. I love college, and I love you for sending me. I'm very, very happy, and so excited every moment of the time that I can scarcely sleep. You can't imagine how different it is from the John Greer home. I never dreamed there was such a place in the world. I'm feeling sorry for everybody who isn't a girl and who can't come here. I'm sure the college you attended when you were a boy couldn't have been so nice. My room is up in a tower that used to be the contagious ward before they built the new infirmary. There are three other girls on the same floor of the tower. A senior who wears spectacles and is always asking us to please be a little more quiet. And two freshmen named Sally McBride and Julia Rutledge Pendleton. Sally has red hair and a turn-up nose and is quite friendly. Julia comes from one of the first families in New York and hasn't noticed me yet. They room together, and the senior and I have singles. Usually freshmen can't get singles. They are very scarce. But I got one without even asking. I suppose the registrar didn't think it would be right to ask a properly brought-up girl to room with a foundling. You see, there are advantages. My room is on the northwest corner with two windows and a view. After you've lived in a ward for eighteen years with twenty roommates, it is restful to be alone. This is the first chance I've ever had to get acquainted with Jerusha Abbott. I think I'm going to like her. Do you think you are? Tuesday. They're organizing the freshman basketball team, and there's just a chance I shall get in it. I'm little, of course, but terribly quick and wiry and tough. While the others are hopping about in the air, I can dodge under their feet and grab the ball. It's loads of fun practicing. Out in the athletic field in the afternoon, with the trees all red and yellow, and the air full of the smell of burning leaves, and everybody laughing and shouting. These are the happiest girls I ever saw, and I am the happiest of all. Oh, I meant to write a long letter and tell you all the things I'm learning. Mrs. Lippett said you wanted to know. But seventh hour has just rung, and in ten minutes I'm due at the athletic field in gymnasium clothes. Don't you hope I'll get in the team? Yours always, Jerusha Abbott. P.S. Nine o'clock. Sally McBride just poked her head in at my door. This is what she said. I'm so homesick that I simply can't stand it. Don't you feel that way? I smiled a little and said no. I thought I could pull it through. At least homesickness is one disease that I've escaped. I never heard of anybody being asylum sick. Did you? 10th October Dear Daddy Longlegs, did you ever hear of Michael Angelo? He was a famous artist who lived in Italy in the Middle Ages. Everybody in English literature seemed to know about him, and the whole class laughed because I thought he was an archangel. He sounds like an archangel, doesn't he? The trouble with college is that you are expected to know such a lot of things you've never learned. It's very embarrassing at times. But now, when girls talk about things that I never heard of, I just keep still and look them up in the encyclopedia. 
I made an awful mistake the first day. Somebody mentioned Maurice Maeterlinck, and I asked if she was a freshman. Ugh, that joke has gone all over college. But anyway, I'm just as bright in class as any of the others. I'm brighter than some of them. Do you care to know how I furnished my room? It's a symphony in brown and yellow. The wall was tinted buff, and I've bought yellow denim curtains and cushions and a mahogany desk, second-hand for three dollars, and a rattan chair and a brown rug with an ink spot in the middle. I stand the chair over the spot. The windows are up high. You can't look out from an ordinary seat. But I've unscrewed the looking-glass from the back of the bureau, upholstered the top, and moved it up against the window. It's just the right height for a window seat. <laughs> you pull out the drawers like steps and walk up. Very comfortable. Sally McBride helped me choose the things at the senior auction. She's lived in a house all her life and knows about furnishing. You can't imagine what fun it is to shop and pay with a real five-dollar bill and get some change when you've never had more than a few cents in your life. I assure you, Daddy dear, I do appreciate that allowance. Sally is the most entertaining person in the world, and Julia Rutledge Pendleton the least so. It's queer what a mixture the registrar can make in the matter of roommates. Sally thinks everything is funny, even flunking. And Julia is bored at everything. She never makes the slightest effort to be amiable. She believes that if you are a Pendleton, that fact alone admits you to heaven without any further examination. Julia and I were born to be enemies. And now I suppose you've been waiting very impatiently to hear what I'm learning? Number one, Latin. Second Punic War. Hannibal and his forces pitched camp at Lake Trasimenus last night. They prepared an ambuscade for the Romans, and a battle took place at the fourth watch this morning. Romans in retreat. Number two, French. Twenty-four pages of the three musketeers and third conjugation irregular verbs. Number three, geometry. Finished cylinders, now doing cones. Number four, English, studying exposition. My style improves daily in clearness and brevity. Number five, physiology. Reach the digestive system. Bile in the pancreas next time. Yours on the way to being educated, Jerusha Abbott. P.S. I hope you never touch alcohol, Daddy. It does dreadful things to your liver. Wednesday. Dear Daddy Longlegs, I've changed my name. I'm still Jerusha in the catalog, but I'm Judy everywhere else. It's really too bad, isn't it, to have to give yourself the only pet name you ever had? I didn't quite make up the Judy, though. That's what Freddie Perkins used to call me before he could talk plainly. I wish Mrs. Lippett could use a little more ingenuity about choosing babies' names. She gets the last names out of the telephone book. You'll find Abbott on the first page. And she picks the Christian names up anywhere. 
She got Jerusha from a tombstone. I've always hated it, but I rather like Judy. It's such a silly name. It belongs to the kind of girl I'm not. A sweet little blue-eyed thing, petted and spoiled by all the family, who romps her way through life without any cares. Wouldn't it be nice to be like that? Whatever faults I may have, no one can ever accuse me of having been spoiled by my family. But it's great fun to pretend I've been. In the future, please always address me as Judy. Do you want to know something? I have three pairs of kid gloves. I've had kid mittens before from the Christmas tree, but never real kid gloves with five fingers. I take them out and try them on every little while. It's all I can do not to wear them to classes. Dinner bell. Goodbye. Friday. What do you think, Daddy? The English instructor said that my last paper shows an unusual amount of originality. She did, truly. Those were her words. Doesn't seem possible, does it, considering the eighteen years of training that I've had? The aim of the John Greer home, as you doubtlessly know and heartily approve of, is to turn the ninety-seven orphans into ninety-seven twins. The unusual artistic ability which I exhibit was developed at an early age through drawing chalk pictures of Mrs. Lippett on the woodshed door. I hope that I don't hurt your feelings when I criticize the home of my youth. But you have the upper hand, you know, for if I become too impertinent, you can always stop payment of your checks. That isn't a polite thing to say, but you can't expect me to have any manners. A foundling asylum isn't a young lady's finishing school. You know, Daddy, it isn't the work that's going to be hard in college. It's the play. Half the time I don't know what the girls are talking about. Their jokes seem to relate to a past that everyone but me has shared. I'm a foreigner in the world, and I don't understand the language. It's a miserable feeling. I've had it all my life. At the high school, the girls would stand in groups and just look at me. I was queer and different, and everybody knew it. I could feel John Greer Home written on my face. And then a few charitable ones would make a point of coming up and saying something polite. I hated every one of them, the charitable ones most of all. Nobody here knows that I was brought up in an asylum. I told Sally McBride that my mother and father were dead and that a kind old gentleman was sending me to college, which is entirely true as far as it goes. I don't want you to think that I'm a coward, but I do want to be like the other girls. And that dreadful home looming over my childhood is the one great big difference. If I can turn my back on that and shut out the remembrance, I think... I might be just as desirable as any other girl. I don't believe there's any real underneath difference, do you? Anyway, Sally McBride likes me. Yours ever, Judy Abbott, me Jerusha. Saturday morning. I've just been reading this letter over, and it sounds pretty uncheerful. 
but can't you guess that I have a special topic due Monday morning and a review in geometry and a very sneezy cold? Sunday. I forgot to post this yesterday, so I will add an indignant postscript. We had a bishop this morning, and what do you think he said? The most beneficent promise made us in the Bible is this, the poor ye have always with you. They were put here in order to keep us charitable. The poor, please observe, being a sort of useful domestic animal. Oh, if I hadn't grown into such a perfect lady, I should have gone up after service and told him what I thought. 25th October Dear Daddy Longlegs, I'm in the basketball team, and you ought to see the bruise on my left shoulder. It's blue and mahogany with little streaks of orange. Julia Pendleton tried for the team, but she didn't get in. Hooray! Oh, you see what a mean disposition I have? College gets nicer and nicer. I like the girls and the teachers and the classes and the campus and the things to eat. We have ice cream twice a week, and I never have cornmeal mush. You only wanted to hear from me once a month, didn't you? And I've been peppering you with letters every few days. But I've been so excited about all these new adventures that I must talk to somebody, and you're the only one I know. Please excuse my exuberance. I'll settle pretty soon. If my letters bore you, you can always toss them into the wastebasket. I promise not to write another until the middle of November. Yours most loquaciously, Judy Abbott. 15th November. Dear Daddy Longlegs, listen to what I've learned today. The area of the convex surface of the frustrum of a regular pyramid is half the product of the sum of the perimeters of its bases by the altitude of either of its trapezoids. <gasps> Doesn't sound true, but it is. I can prove it. You've never heard about my clothes, have you, Daddy? Six dresses all new and beautiful and bought for me, not handed down from somebody bigger. Perhaps you don't realize what a climax that marks in the career of an orphan. You gave them to me, and I am very, very much obliged. It's a fine thing to be educated, but nothing compared to the dizzying experience of owning six new dresses. Miss Pritchard, who was on the visiting committee, picked them out. Not Mrs. Lippett, thank goodness. I have an evening dress, pink mull over silk. I'm perfectly beautiful in that. And a blue church dress. And a dinner dress of red veiling with oriental trimming. Makes me look like a gypsy. And another of rose-colored chalice. And a gray street dress. And an everyday dress for classes. That wouldn't be an awfully big wardrobe for Julia Rutledge Pendleton, perhaps. But for Jerusha Abbott, oh my! I suppose you're thinking now what a frivolous, shallow little beast she is, and what a waste of money to educate a girl. But, Daddy, if you'd been dressed and checked to ginghams all your life, you'd appreciate how I feel. 
and when I started high school I entered upon another period even worse than the checked ginghams. The poor box. You can't know how I dreaded appearing in school in those miserable poor box dresses. I was perfectly sure to be put down in class next to the girl who first owned my dress, and she would whisper and giggle and point it out to the others. The bitterness of wearing your enemy's cast-off clothes eats into your soul. If I wore silk stockings for the rest of my life, I don't believe I could obliterate the scar. Latest War Bulletin News from the Scene of Action At the fourth watch on Thursday, the 13th of November, Hannibal routed the advance guard of the Romans and led the Carthaginian forces over the mountains into the plains of Cassilinum. A cohort of light-armed Numidians engaged the infantry of Quintus Fabius Maximus. Two battles and light skirmishing. Romans repulsed with heavy losses. I have the honor of being your special correspondent from the front, J. Abbott. P.S. I know I'm not to expect any letters in return, and I've been warned not to bother you with questions, but tell me, Daddy, just this once, are you awfully old or just a little old? And are you perfectly bald or just a little bald? It's very difficult thinking about you in the abstract, like a theorem in geometry. Given, a tall, rich man who hates girls, but is very generous to one quite impertinent girl. What does he look like? RSVP. 19th December. Dear Daddy Longlegs, you never answered my question, and it is very important. Are you bald? I have it planned exactly what you look like very satisfactorily, until I reach the top of your head, and then I am stuck. I can't decide whether you have white hair, or black hair, or a sort of sprinkly gray hair, or maybe none at all. Here is your portrait. But the problem is, shall I add some hair? Would you like to know what color your eyes are? They're gray, and your eyebrows stick out like a porch roof beetling, they're called in novels, and your mouth is a straight line with a tendency to turn down at the corners. Oh, you see, I know. You're a snappy old thing with a temper. Chapel Bell. 9.45 p.m. I have a new unbreakable rule. Never, never to study at night, no matter how many written reviews are coming in the morning. Instead, I read just plain books. I have to, you know, because there are eighteen blank years behind me. You wouldn't believe, Daddy, what a great abyss of ignorance my mind is. I'm just realizing the depths myself. The things that most girls with a properly assorted family and a home and friends and a library know by absorption, I've never heard of. For example, I never read Mother Goose or David Copperfield or Ivanhoe, or Cinderella, or Bluebeard, or Robinson Crusoe, or Jane Eyre, or Alice in Wonderland, or a word of Rudyard Kipling. I didn't know that Henry VIII was married more than once, or that Shelley was a poet. I didn't know that people used to be monkeys, 
and that the Garden of Eden was a beautiful myth. I didn't know that R.L.S. stood for Robert Louis Stevenson, or that George Eliot was a lady. I had never seen a picture of the Mona Lisa, and, it's true, but you won't believe it, I had never heard of Sherlock Holmes. Now I know all of these things, and a lot of others besides, but you can see how much I need to catch up. And, oh, but it's fun! I look forward all day to evening, and then I put an engaged on the door, and get into my nice red bathrobe and furry slippers, and pile all the cushions behind me on the couch, and light the brass student lamp at my elbow, and read, and read, and read. One book isn't enough. I have four going at once. Just now they're Tennyson's Poems, and Vanity Fair, and Kipling's Plain Tales, and, don't laugh, Little Women. I find that I am the only girl in college who wasn't brought up on Little Women. I haven't told anybody, though. <laughs> that would stamp me as queer. I just quietly went and bought it with a dollar twelve of my last month's allowance. And the next time someone mentions pickled limes, I'll know what she's talking about. Ten o'clock bell. This is a very interrupted letter. Saturday. Sir, I have the honor to report fresh explorations in the field of geometry. On Friday last, we abandoned our former works in parallelopipes and proceeded to truncated prisms. We are finding the road rough and very uphill. Sunday. The Christmas holidays begin next week, and the trunks are up. The corridors are so filled up that you can hardly get through, and everybody is so bubbling over with excitement that studying is getting left out. I'm going to have a beautiful time in vacation. There's another freshman who lives in Texas staying behind, and we're planning to take long walks, and if there's any ice, learn to skate. Then there is still the whole library to be read, and three empty weeks to do it in. Goodbye, Daddy. I hope you are feeling as happy as I am. Yours ever, Judy. P.S. Don't forget to answer my question. If you don't want the trouble of writing, have your secretary telegraph. He can just say, Mr. Smith is quite bald. Or, Mr. Smith is not bald. Or, Mr. Smith has white hair. And you can deduct the 25 cents out of my allowance. Goodbye till January. And Merry Christmas! Towards the end of the Christmas vacation. Exact date unknown. Dear Daddy Longlegs, Is it snowing where you are? All the world that I see from my tower is draped in white, and the flakes are coming down as big as popcorns. It's a late afternoon. The sun is just setting, a cold yellow color, behind some colder violet hills and I'm up in my window seat, using the last light to write to you. Your five gold pieces were a surprise. I'm not used to receiving Christmas presents. You've already given me such lots of things, everything I have, you know, that I don't quite feel that I deserve extra. But I like them just the same. Do you want to know what I bought with my money? Number one. A silver watch and a leather case to wear on my wrist and get me to recitations on time. Number two, Matthew Arnold's poems. Number three, 
a hot water bottle. Number four, a steamer rug. My tower is cold. Number five, five hundred sheets of yellow manuscript paper. I'm going to commence being an author pretty soon. Number six, a dictionary of synonyms, to enlarge the author's vocabulary. Number seven, I don't much like to confess this last item, but I will. A pair of silk stockings. And now, Daddy, don't say I don't tell all. It was a very low motive, if you must know, that prompted the silk stockings. Julia Pendleton comes into my room to do geometry, and she sits cross-legged on the couch and wears silk stockings every night. But just wait. As soon as she gets back from vacation, I shall go in and sit on her couch in my silk stockings. You see, Daddy, the miserable creature that I am, but at least I'm honest, and you knew already from my asylum record that I wasn't perfect, didn't you? To capitulate. <laughs> That's the way the English instructor begins every other sentence. I am very much obliged for my seven presents. I'm pretending to myself that they came in a box from my family in California. The watch is from father, the rug from mother, the hot water bottle from grandmother who is always worrying for fear I shall catch cold in this climate, and the yellow paper from my little brother Harry. My sister Isabel gave me the silk stockings, and Aunt Susan the Matthew Arnold poems. Uncle Harry, little Harry's named after him, gave me the dictionary. He wanted to send chocolates, but I insisted on synonyms. You don't object, do you, to playing the part of a composite family? And now shall I tell you about my vacation, or are you only interested in my education as such? I hope you appreciate the delicate shade of meaning in as such. It is the latest addition to my vocabulary. The girl from Texas is named Leonora Fenton. Almost as funny as Jerusha, isn't it? I like her, but not so much as Sally McBride. I shall never like anyone so much as Sally, except you. I must always like you the best of all, because you're my whole family rolled into one. Leonora and I, and two sophomores, have walked cross-country every pleasant day and explored the whole neighborhood, dressed in short skirts and knit jackets and caps, and carrying shiny sticks to whack things with. Once we walked into town, four miles, and stopped at a restaurant where the college girls go for dinner. Broiled lobster, 35 cents, and for dessert, buckwheat cakes and maple syrup, 15 cents. Nourishing and cheap. It was such a lark, especially for me, because it was so awfully different from the asylum. I feel like an escaped convict every time I leave the campus. Before I thought, I started to tell the others what an experience I was having. The cat was almost out of the bag when I grabbed it by its tail and pulled it back. It's awfully hard for me not to tell everything I know. I'm a very confiding soul by nature. If I didn't have you to tell things to, I'd burst. We had a molasses candy pull last Friday evening, given by the house matron of Ferguson, to the left behinds in the other halls. There were twenty-two of us altogether. 
freshmen and sophomores and juniors and seniors all united in amicable accord the kitchen is huge with copper pots and kettles hanging in rows on the stone wall the littlest casserole among them about the size of a wash boiler four hundred girls live in ferguson the chef in a white cap and apron fetched out twenty-two other white caps and aprons i can't imagine where he got so many and we all turned ourselves into cooks it was great fun though i have seen better candy when it was finally finished and ourselves and the kitchen and the doorknobs all thoroughly sticky we organized a procession and still in our caps and aprons each carrying a big fork or spoon or frying pan we marched through the empty corridors to the officers parlor where half a dozen professors and instructors were passing a tranquil evening we serenaded them with college songs and offered refreshments they accepted politely but dubiously we left them sucking chunks of molasses candy sticky and speechless so you see daddy my education progresses don't you really think that i ought to be an artist instead of an author vacation will be over in two days and i shall be glad to see the girls again my tower is just a trifle lonely when nine people occupy a house that was built for four hundred they do rattle around a bit eleven pages poor daddy you must be tired i meant this to be just a short little thank-you note but when i get started i seem to have a ready pen good-bye and thank you for thinking of me i should be perfectly happy except for one little threatening cloud on the horizon examinations come in february yours with love judy p s maybe it isn't proper to send love if it isn't please excuse but i must love somebody and there's only you and mrs lippett to choose between <laughs> so you see you will have to put up with it daddy dear because i can't love her on the eve dear daddy longlegs you should see the way this college is studying we've forgotten we ever had a vacation fifty-seven irregular verbs i have introduced to my brain in the past four days I'm only hoping they'll stay till after examinations. Some of the girls sell their textbooks when they're through with them, but I intend to keep mine. Then, after I've graduated, I shall have my whole education in a row in the bookcase, and when I need to use any detail, can turn to it without the slightest hesitation. So much easier and more accurate than trying to keep it in your head julia pendleton dropped in this evening to pay a social call and stayed a solid hour she got started on the subject of family and i couldn't switch her off she wanted to know what my mother's maiden name was did you ever hear such an impertinent question to ask of a person from a foundling asylum i didn't have the courage to say i didn't know so i just miserably plumped on the first name i could think of and that was montgomery then she wanted to know whether i belonged to the massachusetts montgomerys or the virginia montgomerys her mother was a rutherford the family came over in the ark and were connected by marriage with henry the eighth on her father's side they date back farther than adam 
on the topmost branches of her family tree there's a superior breed of monkeys with very fine silky hair and extra long tails i meant to write you a nice cheerful entertaining letter tonight but i'm too sleepy and scared the freshman's lot is not a happy one yours about to be examined judy abbott sunday dearest daddy longlegs i have some awful awful news to tell you but i won't begin with it i'll try to get you in a good humor first jerusha abbott has commenced to be an author a poem entitled from my tower appears in the february monthly on the first page which is a very great honor for a freshman my English instructor stopped me on the way out from chapel last night and said it was a charming piece of work except for the sixth line, which had too many feet. I will send you a copy in case you care to read it. Let me see if I can't think of something else pleasant. Oh, yes, I'm learning to skate and can glide about quite respectably all by myself. Also, I've learned how to slide down a rope from the roof of the gymnasium, and I can vault a bar three feet and six inches high. I hope shortly to pull up to four feet. We had a very inspiring sermon this morning, preached by the Bishop of Alabama. His text was, Judge not that ye be not judged. It was about the necessity of overlooking mistakes in others, and not discouraging people by harsh judgments. I wish you might have heard it. This is the sunniest, most blinding winter afternoon, with icicles dripping from the fir trees and all the world bending under a weight of snow. Except me. I'm bending under a weight of sorrow. Now for the news. Courage, Judy. You must tell. Are you surely in a good humor? I failed in mathematics and Latin prose. I'm tutoring in them and will take another examination next month. I'm sorry if you're disappointed, but otherwise I don't care a bit because I've learned such a lot of things not mentioned in the catalog. I've read seventeen novels and bushels of poetry, really necessary novels like Vanity Fair and Richard Feverell and Alice in Wonderland, also Emerson's Essays and Lockhart's Life of Scott, and the first volume of Gibbon's Roman Empire, and half of Benvenuto Cellini's life, wasn't he entertaining? He used to saunter out and casually kill a man before breakfast. So you see, Daddy, I'm much more intelligent than if I'd just stuck to Latin. Will you forgive me this once, if I promise never to fail again? Yours in sackcloth, Judy. Dear Daddy Longlegs, this is an extra letter in the middle of the month because I'm rather lonely tonight. It's awfully stormy. All the lights are out in campus, but I drank black coffee and I can't go to sleep. I had a supper party this evening consisting of Sally, Julia, and Leonora Fenton, and sardines and toasted muffins and salad and fudge and coffee. Julia said she'd had a good time, but Sally stayed to help wash the dishes. I might, very usefully, put some time on Latin tonight, but there's no doubt about it. I am a very languid Latin scholar. We've finished Livy and De Senectute, and are now engaged with De Amicitia. 
pronounced Dam Ichidia. Should you mind, just for a little while, pretending you're my grandmother? Sally has one, and Julia and Leonora each two, and they were all comparing them tonight. I can't think of anything I'd rather have. It's such a respectable relationship. So if you really don't object, when I went into town yesterday I saw the sweetest cap of Clooney lace trimmed with lavender ribbon. I'm going to make you a present of it on your 83rd birthday. Bum. That's the clock in the chapel tower striking twelve. I believe I am sleepy after all. Good night, Granny. I love you dearly. Judy End of Section 2 Recording by Joe Carabas Vallejo, California